turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew. And if you're using your Pew Bible, it's on page 1499. So we are in Matthew 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for Pastor Heavenly Father, we lift your servant Jeremy up to you right now, and we pray strength and power into him, and we pray for your word that you put in his heart to preach on today, that you will preach powerfully through him, and you will touch our hearts and speak to us as if that message was just for us alone. We love you, and we want to know you better, so preach well through Jeremy this morning. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Julie. Well, good morning again, church. Um, every single one of us, whether we are actively seeking to follow Jesus or we're not really interested in following Jesus at all, every single one of us faces temptation. Temptation to do what is ultimately harmful to ourselves and others, even if we don't recognize it as such. We're tempted to act in ways that are counter to the ways that God created us to live. Every single one of us, whether we desire to grow in Christian faith or not, faces challenges that shape us, challenges in the midst of which we can either move towards God or we can move away from God, challenges which, in which we can either be believing God in the midst of it or forgetting about God in the midst of it. And when we face those temptations and when we face those challenges, God's word reminds us that we are not alone. Even the eternal word of God made flesh, Jesus, faced temptation, faced challenge. The question is, how will you face them? How will you get through them? And what can we learn from the way that Jesus faced them that will actually help us in our everyday lives? If you're new with us this morning or you haven't been here for a bit, uh, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome. We are in the midst of a series that we're calling Live Like Jesus. 
We're calling it that because the fact is that every person who puts their faith in Jesus as their Savior and King is called then to live like Jesus. Now, when most of us think about that call to live like Jesus, we think about it in almost a completely moral perspective. In other words, we think about it as the call to be holy as Jesus is holy. When, when most of us think about what it means to live like Jesus, we think about rejecting sin and loving God completely and living righteous lives. And of course, that is absolutely true. In fact, the ca- that's the category in which most of today's message actually is going to fall. But one of the things that I want to make sure we capture as a church in this series of messages is the call to live like Jesus isn't just a moral call, it's also a vocational call. Jesus called his disciples to follow him, to go with him where he was going. Why? It wasn't just so that they could see the power of his actions with their own eyes and hear with their own ears the authority of his words and then believe in their hearts and minds that he really was God. He called the disciples to follow him, to go with him so that they could learn to live like he lived, to do life like he did life, to be every day on mission with God for the purposes of God. The gospel writers then years later wrote these accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, not only so that we would believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, come to redeem and renew the world. Of course they wrote it. John says at the end, I wrote this so that you would believe in Jesus. But they also wrote the gospel accounts in the way that they did so that we who follow Jesus would learn how to live on mission with him. They wrote the accounts for followers of Jesus to live on mission with God by the power of the Spirit for the purposes of God in the world. In other words, they wrote the Gospels to teach us what it looks like in our everyday lives to live for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. We have every one of us, not just a moral call in Christ, but a vocational call in Christ. Not just for pastors or church leaders or elders or deacons or staff members, or small group leaders, every single follower of Jesus is called to live on mission with Jesus by the power of the Spirit to fulfill God's purposes in the world. And today's text from Matthew's gospel teaches us, helps us to learn how to fight against the constant temptation to pull us away from that. The constant temptation to, for us to forget or even abandon the call that God has on our lives. So may the Lord help us today as Julie has already prayed. So look with me again at verse one. Verse one says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil, into the wilderness, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, one thing I figured out this week as I was reflecting on this passage and particularly this verse is I could spend an entire weekend seminar, like a a weekend retreat, just talking about verse one. There are all kinds of little rabbit trails that we could take looking at verse one. But because of the sake of the series and of today's message, let me just highlight a few things that I want to talk about today. First of all, notice that first word. What's the first word? Then. Okay, some of you are with me. The first word is? Then, okay, some more of you are with me. That's great. Then is a word that connects what happens here with what happened right before. And what happened right before? 
baptism, right? Gerard preached on it last week in a great message. If you missed it, I really encourage you to go online or check to the podcast. Jesus submitted himself to baptism, and at his baptism, something astounding and significant happened. Remember, it said that as Jesus came up by the water, look at the end of chapter 3, at that moment, heaven was opened. Mark says that heaven was ripped open, and, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. It's important for us to notice that this time of temptation in the wilderness was right on the heels of Jesus' baptism where he had this incredible experience with the Spirit and the Father. And just let me insert something right here, especially for the, the people that were just in San Francisco on the YWAM trip. Whenever you have a powerful experience of God's love and God's truth, whether that's through prayer or through worship, or Bible study, or preaching, or a serve and learn trip. Whenever you have a powerful experience of God's love and truth, you can count on the fact that there will be temptations that follow. Temptations that call into question what you just experienced. Temptations that call into question whether or not it was real, what happened in your heart during worship, and your life at camp, or your time of prayer that morning. Temptations that call into question everything you feel like you heard from God. Look at the, the first two temptations, how they start. The devil says, if you are the son of God. What did God just say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The devil starts by saying, well, if you're the son of God. Jesus had this amazing experience at his baptism where the heavens were opened, and then on the heels of that, his faith in what God had just done, what God had said over him is being put to the test. Pay attention to that. Second, notice that it says he was led by the Spirit. Now, before we talk about where the Spirit led him in this particular moment, let's just camp for a moment on those words, led by the Spirit. Sometimes we don't think we can live like Jesus because, well, well, Jesus was God, and we're just people. We're just human. Well, that's, of course, true. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. And how was it that Jesus decided in his everyday life where he would go and what he would say and who he would pursue and how he would respond? Some might say, well, he was God, so he just knew everything. But look at what the scriptures say. Yeah, he was God. But look at what the scriptures say. The scriptures don't say he decided to go into the wilderness. No, the scriptures say he was led by the Spirit. Elsewhere says, elsewhere Jesus says himself, he says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. He was led by the Spirit. And guess what? The Spirit who led Jesus 2,000 years ago is the same Holy Spirit who resides in every follower of Jesus. How different would our lives be if we just followed the lead of the Spirit? That's what it looks like to live like Jesus. He just followed the lead of the Spirit. And that's the call in our lives as well. Third, it was the Spirit then who led him into the wilderness or into the desert to be 
tempted. Now, this can be a troubling verse for people. This is one of the rabbit trails that we could run down all the way, but we're just going to look at it. Why in the world would the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness so that he could be tempted or tested by the devil? Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. That means go there in your Bibles. I need to hear pages rustling or fingers going whoop, whoop, whoop on the screen. Hebrews chapter 2. My phone doesn't make that noise. I'm not sure why I did that. But Hebrews chapter 2, the end of the chapter. While you're turning there, let me just say the simple answer to the question, why did the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, is that he did it for us. He did it for us. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. It says, Since the children, that is the people of God, have flesh and blood, Jesus, he, Jesus too, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. He's saying there, it's not, he didn't come to help the angels, he came to help human beings. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters, like, like everyday human beings in every way in order that Jesus might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now look ahead. You may not even have to turn the page. I don't have to in my Bible. To the end of chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you're here for the call to worship, I read that passage on purpose. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted for our sake. If he wasn't tempted, he wouldn't understand what it is to be fully human. If he wasn't tempted, his perfect life would be a sham. It would be as if he was just able to kind of float through life without ever having any temptation. That's not how we live our lives. But because Jesus was tempted, even by the devil himself, and overcame that temptation without sin, now Jesus is able to help us as the crucified and risen Savior. Again, I'm not preaching on the Hebrews passage today, so I'm going to avoid going all the way there. But he was tempted for us. And because he was tempted and because he overcame perfectly and kept continued to be without sin, now he's able to help us who are in the midst of temptation as our crucified and risen Savior. Hallelujah. That's good news. And I know I said I wanted to highlight a few things, but here's number four. The fourth thing is the person or the, the one who tempts Jesus. Who's that? The devil, right? The opposite of your quick Sunday school answer. The Bible Here's, here's what I want. To, Jesus was tempted by the devil, it says. Here's the thing. The Bible clearly teaches that there is a devil. 
And there's a ton that we don't know about the devil. There's lots of assumptions in the church about the devil. There's a lot that we don't know. But the Bible is clear that the devil always works against the purposes and the people of God. The devil's aim is to split people away from God. That's what the name means. Diabolos, it means to split. Split people away from God and away from the truth of God and away from the life of God. And the devil has always been limited in his power. By who? By God. The devil has always been limited by the power of God. The devil can't just do whatever the devil wants to do. Always limited by the power of God. And ultimately, the devil is conquered by the perfect life and death, by the resurrection and return of Jesus. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let's see how Jesus overcomes the devil's temptations. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And next to that verse, you might write, no, duh. (laughs) Right? Of course he was hungry. But why did the author say that? He wanted us to know that Jesus didn't have some superpower against humanity. I mean, against hunger. It's not like Jesus could just float around out there and not feel hungry and not feel the pain of that experience. Jesus was hungry. That's why what the devil prompts him to do is an actual temptation. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell all these stones that are all around you to become bread. So what's the devil trying to get Jesus to do? There's nothing in the Old Testament. None of the 613 laws say that you shouldn't make stones into bread. So what's the temptation? What's the problem? Well, one piece of this is that the devil is trying to get Jesus to use his power for his own gain. He's trying to get Jesus to use his power to satisfy his own desires. If you and I had all that power, guess what we would do? We would satisfy our own desires because we do that with the power that we have already. I mean, why get off the couch and cook dinner if you could snap your fingers and have a gourmet meal, right? Why go to work if you could say a word and fill your bank account with millions of dollars? But Jesus doesn't use his power for his own gain. In fact, he demonstrates his power most prominently by surrendering his life to the cross. He shows his power by giving it up. Isn't that amazing? Another piece of this temptation, though, is I think the devil's trying to get Jesus to prove himself. Prove that you're the son of God. Prove it to me. Show me something. We see this out throughout Jesus' ministry. If you just show us a miracle, we'll believe. We hear it today. If you just show me a miracle, then, then I'll believe. But that connects with the next one. So this one is Jesus himself. It's like the like, like devil's trying to say, prove yourself. If you're really God's son, then why are you hungry? Do something to fix it. Prove that you are who you say you are. But the bottom line is that the devil was tempting Jesus to depend on himself rather than to depend on God the Father to depend on his own self and his own power than to depend on God the Father and his power. So Jesus responds by quoting from Deuteronomy 8. 
Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Oh, that we would believe that to be true. Man, of course, needs food to live. That's why we're going to eat downtown today. But real abundant life, church, real abundant life comes by believing and receiving the words that God speaks over us. Sorry, devil, Jesus is not going to split off from living in the love and delight of God the Father. He's only going to do what the Spirit leads him to do. Then the devil somehow takes Jesus to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And my sense is that this is a very real temptation in the context of a vision, but but we're not really told. It just says that he took him to the highest point of the temple. Look at verse 6. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. And then the devil quotes part of Psalm 91, which talks about how God protects those that he loves. The devil is clever, isn't he? If Jesus is going to quote scripture, if Jesus is going to say, it is written, what's the devil going to say? It is written. He can do the same thing. So what's the temptation here? Well, the first temptation was for Jesus to do something that would prove himself. The second temptation is for Jesus to do something that would force God to prove himself. God says he's going to take care of you, Jesus. So jump off this building and let's just see if he'll really catch you. And how spectacular would that be for everybody to see at the temple? Prove that God is really who God says he is. Jump off and see if he'll catch you. I think the devil here also is pushing underneath the surface into something that I think can be very sensitive for us. Something that can be a great source of doubt for many of us. If God really loves you, if God really delights in you, then why is God putting you through this, whatever this is for you. If God really cares about you, then why is he letting this evil happen against you? But Jesus doesn't bite. He responds with another verse from Deuteronomy, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, don't try to force the hand of God. Don't try to manipulate God. Testing God is not trusting God. And finally, the devil takes Jesus to a place where he can see all the kingdoms of the world. Look at verse 9. The devil says, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And I think this is where the devil really digs deep. Why? Because he puts the temptation right at the heart of what Jesus came to do. Right at the heart of Jesus' mission and purposes in life. Jesus came, as it's said in Hebrews, to defeat the devil and the power of evil in the world. And what the devil is essentially saying here is, I'll surrender right now if you just give me a little bit of homage right here. Just worship me just once right here, and I'll give it to you. In other words, this is a temptation for the shortcut, for, for the easy way, for the compromised way. Just do this little thing, and then you won't have to work so hard. Then you won't have to suffer so much. Just put this little extra money in your pocket. Then you won't, then your needs will be covered. Just make this little lie on that form, and, and then you can get by with it. Just compromise in this little way. That'll make you feel better. Jesus responds, verse 10, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Jesus stood the test. He overcame the temptation. He trusted God, and look what happened when he trusted God. 
God took care of his needs. The angels came and they attended to him. You know, sometimes, beloved, I think that we underestimate the work of Jesus to live in perfect obedience to God the Father. We think, ah, he was just God, so of course he wasn't going to sin. But all we have to do when we start underestimating the work that it was for Jesus to live in perfect obedience is remember the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of us were just recently there, standing amongst those olive trees in that grove, looking up to the Temple Mount. On the night of his arrest, Jesus took the disciples, after the supper, he took the disciples to the garden, to the the olive grove there, to pray. And Matthew says that when he went there to pray, he was feeling deep sorrow and great distress. Luke adds to the detail that we know that, that as he was praying, his sweat was like drops of blood. And what was it that he was praying? God, please, if there's any other way than, than me becoming sin, please take this cup away from me. There was a temptation right there for him to abandon ship, to go a different direction. And he was deeply distressed. But in the end, he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Matthew says he prayed that prayer three times. Not my will, but your will be done. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for enduring temptation for me, for us. So how did he endure? Let's finish by talking about that. How did he do it? Well, the quick and easy answer is he quoted Scripture, right? Every time he quoted Scripture. And how, do we, and how did Jesus know all that Scripture? Did he have the, the, the scrolls there with him and, and looking at all the scrolls and saying, well, it says here, let me find it somewhere. No, some, but he, he knew the Scripture. But some of us would say, well, how do you know the Scripture? Well, he was God. He knew everything. And I would say, no, it was because his parents and community taught him the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus wasn't born as a six-month-old knowing the whole of the Hebrew scriptures, right? He was fully human. His parents, who were good Jews, taught him the Hebrew scriptures. His community taught him the Hebrew scriptures. When we were in Israel, um, Dr. Brian Schultz, who studied there and got his master's and PhD there in Old Testament studies, he was saying it was unclear how much a typical Jewish child would have memorized from the Old Testament. It was unclear how much a typical Jewish child in the first century, in Jesus' day or before, would have memorized from the Old Testament. He said it's either the whole of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, or it was just Deuteronomy. Just Deuteronomy. Have you seen how long Deuteronomy is? And did you notice where all the quotes that Jesus said from Scripture came from? Deuteronomy. Jesus knew the Word, and he used the Word. Because he had spent time to memorize it and internalize it. Beloved, do you know the Word of God? 
Do you spend time in it? Have you meditated on it in such a way that it begins to come to mind, that it, that it connects in your everyday, everyday life with things that are happening in your world? Those are questions that are not meant to be con- of questions of condemnation. They're meant to be questions of inspiration. Jesus used the truth of Scripture to push back the lies of temptation. If that's how Jesus, the Word of God, pushed back, let's not assume that we can find a better way. Jesus didn't fight temptation with some tool that's not available to us. He fought temptation with the Scripture. Let's do the same thing. We can do the same thing. Let's do the same thing. But it's deeper than just knowing the Scripture. It's deeper than just quoting the Scripture. It's not just like you say the words and they're magic. The devil even quoted Scripture. Jesus believed the Scriptures. Right? Jesus trusted in the truth of God's word. The more church that we believe what the Bible actually says about who God is and what God has done and who God has made us in Christ Jesus, the more victory over temptation we will experience. All of us struggle to simply believe what the Bible says. But as we grow in that belief, we grow in our victory over sin. But in the midst of that struggle to believe, don't forget the good news of Hebrews 2. Don't just work harder to believe. Hebrews 2 says, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is able to help us in the midst of our temptation. That's good news. So the best thing that we can do when we are in the midst of temptation is call out to Jesus for help. Jesus is the one who overcame the devil's temptations. And Jesus is the one through his death and resurrection who has conquered the devil and suffered through temptation and overcome so that he can help you in the midst of your temptations. He sent the Holy Spirit of God, the same spirit that led him. He's now sent that spirit to guide you and to lead you in God's truth. Call out to Jesus in the midst of temptation. He's the defeater of the devil. When you're in the midst of it, He will help you. That's what the word says. Because here's the thing, beloved. There is an enemy of God who wants to destroy us, who wants to split us away from the truth of God, who wants to change our minds about God, who wants to discredit God. He is full of empty promises and lies. Every single temptation is empty. It does not satisfy So he would love for you to have that affair. He would love for you to dehumanize your neighbor. He would love for you to cheat. He would love for you to compromise. He would love for you to hate. He would love for you to lie. He would love for you to be obsessed with your reputation or greedy with your money or excessive in your drinking. He would love for you to do anything that would take you away from living like Jesus has called you to live. That's what he does. But here's the good news of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Here's what the Bible says. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Every time you're in the midst of temptation, there is a way out. His name is Jesus by the Spirit, in your life. How do we know that God is faithful? How can we live in victory over temptation? Why is it that we do not fear the devil's attacks? It's because Jesus is alive. 
resurrected, victorious, exalted, and coming again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the judge, the holy one. So may we live in his power, by his spirit, resisting the devil, remembering the truth of God's word, so that more and more and more, by his spirit, as we surrender to him, we would be people, we would be a church who lives like Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, for every single one of us, I imagine there's some sort of temptation that's at the forefront right now. You know what it is for every single life here. There's no hiding it from you. Thank you, God, that you see us. Thank you, Jesus, that whatever that temptation that is facing us right now, you have faced it. At its core, you face the same temptation. And you conquered it. And now, when we put our life into your hands, you give us power to say no, to say, get away from me, devil, to speak the word of truth and life, which is God's word, to reject the lies of temptation. You give us power to do that. Sometimes we sin, we don't even realize we're sinning then. We don't even know what's going on. But a lot of times, there's a temptation right in front of us and we make a choice. Oh God, help us in the midst of that temptation to call out to Jesus for help. And maybe there's a person here, God, who's never really done that. They've tried to just be a better person in their own strength. They've tried to just overcome that addiction in their own strength. They've tried to just win your approval in their own strength. Oh God, draw them to faith in Jesus because you're the only one who can overcome. And when we attach our life to your life, your overcoming becomes our overcoming. Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way. Help us to be people who live like Jesus for your kingdom to come and your will to be done and your name to be hallowed here in Fresno and beyond, just as it is in heaven. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.